Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. But today, today we're we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God, and well, we're going to continue with our ideas on critical thinking. We went through critical theory, which is the opposite of critical thinking, and uh, we're going to look deeper into critical thinking and realize, hopefully, that if you uh, really are listening to the gospel of Christ, that you will be a person who would also be availing themselves of these principles that are connected with the idea of critical thinking. And critical thinking, it's a modern term. You probably won't find that anywhere in the Bible, but you will find references to ideas that are required in order to be, to be a critical thinker. And that's very important in this day and age because many of the problems you see today being created by people, you know, your riots, riots are due to a lack of critical thinking. I saw a report where they were talking about uh, the problems uh, in New York. Bill de Blasio and his wife are saying that the problems are racism. Racism is causing all the problems. But the reality is, is that most of the people in uh, New York are not white. But when they talk about racism, people are talking like only white people can be racist. Black people can't be racist. And, of course, that's nonsense. Racism is simply considering a race as a group and assigning characteristics to everybody in that group because of their supposed race. And, of course, we've talked about race as just a construct uh, you can divide race based on cranial size. You can divide race based upon pigment of your skin. You could now, because we can do DNA testing, you could probably count race based on DNA. And uh, But the categories where you draw those lines is dependent upon where you draw those lines. They're arbitrary. And there may be arguments to draw them here or draw them there or say this person is a part of this race and that race, but these the races are labels that we have created through observation and personal decisions. And there is a genetics, if you're a member of a particular genetic line, then there's a roll of the dice where you're not an exact duplicate of your father or your mother, but a combination of the two. So you will have some genes, genetic material that belongs to your mother and some genetic material that belongs to your father. And that produces you. So a lot of people are mixed race. Almost everybody, uh, as far as numbers are concerned, are mixed race. Somewhere back in their lineage, you'll find other races mixing in. There are very few Pure black people, the Hodge twins, who I listen to sometimes because they come up with some interesting ideas. Uh, 
they're supposedly black entertainers. But they are brothers, and they're not really twins. At least they're not identical twins. But uh, they, uh, they're they not even 50% black, according to their genetic test. Of course, they just joke about it, because they think all this racism stuff is nonsense. But uh, they think a lot of things is nonsense, because they are comedians, and so they make fun of a lot of stuff. But the reality is, is that, uh, you know, I could be black. I could look white, but I could have genetics in me that are of the black race. And you would never know by looking at me. But that's actually a possibility. So, and, and the possibility the other way as well. So, this whole idea of race, uh, you know, somebody was, I was talking to him about Romans and uh, that the average Roman soldier was only like five foot four inches tall. It wasn't a very big guy. Uh, if he was up there fighting Danes in uh, Gaul, uh, some of those guys were over six foot. And that that's very, uh, I know some that are almost seven foot. And uh, that's kind of impressive. But to imagine that these big tough Roman centurions conquering these areas were actually sometimes a foot shorter than the people who lived there. It's kind of a praise for their tactics. They they must have been very clever in the way that they uh, pursued the art of war in order to defeat these people because most of their weaponry was dependent upon physical prowess and skills. They didn't have six-shooters and AK-47s back in those days. But now Italians are, even though they may be a little bit shorter than some of the population of Europe, they're actually much taller. And one of the reasons why... It's because millions of Gauls were sold to Romans <laughs> way back in the days of Caesar, 2,000 years ago. And those Gauls mixed with Romans, a very few pure Romans left, and they gave them a lot of tall genes in their gene pool. And then, of course, the Moors came up from the south and gave a lot of them a Sicilian tan and... and uh, uh, all of colored skin. That probably wasn't the case way back in the days when Rome was marching its legions around. So now we come along with people testing genetics and they say, oh, well, you're part of this part of Europe and that part of Europe. But the reality is, is that the Huns also invaded Europe and they left a lot of genetic material around <laughs> behind after they left. So really, but over a period of maybe a hundred years, two hundred years, a village is going to mix that DNA and so that it will become, because they don't, maybe didn't move around much for three, four hundred years, it became very consistent in that village. But it's a mix. We're all a mix. If you go back far enough, we're all a mix. So the idea that de Blasio can blame the problems in New York on racism is very easy for a politician to do, but there is absolutely no basis to it whatsoever. Highest scores in schools are Asians, not whites. And it's not because Asians are smarter than whites, it's because they work harder, generally speaking. And it's not because they're Asians, it's because of their background. They're fairly new to that 
to the American society. I'm sure you can, if you went over to China, you would find a lot of lazy Chinese people mixed in with the general population. But those aren't the ones that are going to end up in America, crossing the ocean and coming to a new land and try, these are going to be the people that are going to be go-getters. So they're not really a good representation of the so-called Asian race. They have been filtered through the process of immigration. Back in, if it was back in the 1800s, that immigration process was very difficult. A lot of hardships. If you were lazy, you didn't make it. This is part of what we've talked about with the American culture. That you came over and confronted the wilderness. Those who made it, made it because they were often willing to change. Well, now we've gone to a hundred years of almost apathy and repose. Things have been pretty good since, uh, at least since uh, 2000, uh, back in 1945, 1950, in the progression of the economy improved. We haven't really had any hardships since then. Here and there, but generally over the millions of people that live in America, life has been pretty good. Better here than almost anywhere else. Even during World War II, we did not suffer like the people in Europe suffered or the people in North Africa suffered. Things were very bad. Well, this alters society because those who do not want to apply themselves die out. It changes the genetics of a community. It changes the thinking of a community. It changes their culture. Because that's another thing that we talk about is that culture. So what is the Christian culture? It's not what you see in the modern Christian church because they haven't seen real persecution for a hundred thousand years. You know, for a hundred or a thousand years depending on who you're dealing with. There was a great deal of persecution in 800, 900, and 1,000 years after the fall of Jerusalem. There was a new church that rose up with new ideas. And there were inquisitions. And there was persecutions. And there were oppressions and uh, of the people. And that's one of the things that I want to talk about. I'm working on a page about oppression. And that's going to lead us into the pages uh, that we're going to, in the, what we're going to write about the prophets and the minor prophets. Because there's a theme running through all these people and what they're talking about. And most modern Christians have no understanding of that theme. They don't know how to apply it in their own life. Because they're actually going the opposite way of what Christ said to do. But they don't know that they are, one, because the preachers aren't telling them, and two, because things have been pretty good. When things get bad, you're going to want to know what Christianity is really all about because that will be your only salvation. Because Christianity was the salvation of the people who followed it when Rome began to collapse and fail. And fall apart. What we we see a lot of people talking today in the in the news about economic problems, 
Of course, a lot of these are seem to be self-imposed by the shutdown. And uh, we need to change the way in which we're looking at these events so that we apply that critical thinking so that we understand what's going on and what we can do and what we shouldn't be doing that people uh, are completely unaware of is because of the fact that they're not actually doing what Christ said. And most Christians think somebody was actually joining, uh, they wanted to send me something on Facebook or through Messenger or something, and so they they were going to friend me so that they could share it through Messenger. And they looked at me and they said, well, I'm not going to get all kinds of strange stuff if I friend you. And I thought like, you know, I've known this person for years and years. Of course, they think I'm probably strange. They think that some of the things they hear, they don't have real conversations with me about what I believe. But I'm sure they have real conversations about me, about what they think I believe. Because people have a tendency not to speak to the person who is different than them. They That's outside their bubble, so they don't want to resolve issues they may imagine they have with that other person. So they will speak amongst each other, but not to the actual individual. That is unchristian. That is not the way Christ, Christ works. Christ speaks up. He's, and of course, that's a, he, he could get a huge crowd, and then he could thin that crowd out very quickly by by saying a little bit more truth than most people are willing to hear. And of course, I do that so that sometimes people don't even want, you know, they they fear me coming around because I'm not going to talk about needless things. I'm going to equate everything to what's of value in your life, in your culture, in in the in the history that you're making. And I will equate it to things in history and people, you know, when you start talking about history, most people, most people, it's over their head because they're unfamiliar with history. I have a few sons that are real history buffs. But even them, you could, if because there's so much history, you could start talking about history and they don't know about that part of the history. And so it, it begins to get over their head. But they know enough about history that they have some place to hang the ideas. But we don't really do that. And studying the Bible is studying history. But it's the Bible without having the context of what was going on at the time of Jesus Christ. So many movies I've seen about Jesus Christ and they're depicting the Romans this way or they're depicting the Romans that way. And historically, it doesn't make any sense. To to know that Pontius Pilate actually believed, eventually believed, that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He's been canonized a saint because of the churches that he established. Pontius Pilate. His wife was already following Jesus. And was warning her husband not to have anything to do with this man because... In the context of what her husband was, he was a ruling judge of the Roman courts in Judea. And the Roman courts had been invited into Judea to settle civil disputes as to who was to be the ruler. 
So if you're going to be appearing in front of a Roman judge, this has to do with government. Because that's, you know, if, it's, if you've been robbing somebody or you've been murdering somebody, the Romans, unless you are murdered a Roman, the Roman courts are not going to hear the issue. That's going to be handled in local courts. They're kind of the UN peacekeeping force that are going to resolve issues of like who's the rightful king of Judea. And of course that's what claiming Jesus was the Christ is claiming that Jesus was the anointed, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Messiah, that he was the rightful heir to the throne of Judea, which was the remnant of Israel. Because most of Israel was all over Europe. Mixing with those tall dudes. <laughs> Up in the Scandinavian countries. So, Jesus was, when they hailed him as the Christ, they hailed him as the king. And this was the dispute. And of course this had to come before the Romans. Because that's why they were there. To decide who was the king. And, of course, we know from the record that Pontius Pilate decided that Jesus was the king. There's evidence that Pontius Pilate knew of Jesus, knew of his relatives who had visited Gaul many years before because that's where Pontius Pilate was. He was high up in uh, in, in Gaul politics. He was Roman now. Because Caesar had defeated. Now, I was trying to think. Let's see his age. Yeah, it was uh, after he was probably born shortly after Caesar, uh, Julius Caesar, had conquered Gaul. And we talked about that in previous shows. You can go back and listen to them. You get a lot of history. A million Gauls were enslaved and shipped out of Gaul to be slaves somewhere else. Under Julius Caesar. when He wasn't Caesar yet. He was just Julius Caesar. The name. Because Caesar wasn't in office. There was no emperor of Rome. He was just a general. Who got this lucrative position. Of fighting with the Gauls. And made millions of dollars. By selling Gauls into slavery. See the Bible's against slavery. Now, was that racism? These are the Romans, those five foot four guys going up there and fighting Gauls who were much bigger and stronger than them, but defeating the Gauls through the military tactics that they used in their organization and then was able to enslave them by the tens of thousands, even by the millions, and sell them as slaves. Now, The Bible says you cannot go out and capture people and make them a slave. That's that's not permitted. Now, the Bible permits a lot of things that aren't right, like divorce. Jesus says, Moses gave you divorce because of the hardness of your hearts, not because God wants you to divorce. But but God lets you make mistakes and lets you have error in your life and then hopefully you overcome and get stronger because of that. Well, it's the same way with this idea of Caesar going up there and conquering the Gauls because there was some sort of dispute and then he created more disputes. 
kind of tricked people into fighting him so that he could defeat them. And then, then he didn't go out and hunt them down to make them slaves. They're defeated in combat. And since he's the victor, he gets to write down why he had this combat. There were, there were people in Rome that wanted Caesar arrested for war crimes against the Gauls. But he was so popular because many of those slaves that he sold, he also turned it into gold and turned that gold into benefits for the people and the people loved him for those benefits. You could see, go back to Polybius, having come accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others, they degenerate society and of course that's what he was doing now there wasn't the welfare system quite like it would be under Augustus Caesar but certainly people turned a blind eye to the war crimes of Caesar against the Gauls because of the fact that Caesar was bestowing millions of dollars in gifts on the people have Americans done that at times where they turned their back on what was right now, everybody's so big on the fact that, you know, slavery was the problem of blacks. You know, we enslaved blacks and they want to tear down Washington and tear down Jefferson's memorial because they owned slaves at one time. They, they're they ignorant of history. They don't know that, that uh, Thomas Jefferson, who wrote, actually heard Biden quoting Thomas Jefferson. First, he talks about the fact that you know, there is a problem with him being a slaveholder, but we hold our values on all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That's Jefferson who wrote that. He's quoting Jefferson in the same paragraph where he's condemning Jefferson. I don't know that he knows that that's Jefferson. <laughs> Jefferson wanted to free his slaves. There was a law against freeing his slaves. He tried to change the law several times in Virginia so that he could free those slaves. He was unable to do it. So he could not. He could free the slaves. Same with Washington, both in Virginia. They could free the slaves upon their death. Now, why is there a law against freeing the slaves? Well, there's actually some, there was a law about that in Rome. That you couldn't just free a slave. Because there was an actual tax if you freed the slave. You had to pay money to the government if you freed the slave. Why? Because what people were doing is that if you got too old and you couldn't work anymore and you uh, weren't as valuable anymore, they would go and free you and now they don't have to feed you. Freeing slaves was laying off employees without any employment compensation. So Rome said, no, we're going to tax you if you free slaves because they may end up on the government dole. This was the beginning of unemployment tax. This is where it came from. They're releasing you and now they're res- somebody's responsible. We'll be right back. So welcome back. So people are trying to destroy all these statues because of the fact that they say, oh, they were racist. But they don't realize that these men were actually, I mean, Washington. 
owned like supposedly 300 slaves according to some people. Well, they actually, most of those were not his slaves. They belonged to his wife who inherited them. That's right, his wife, Martha. She had been a widow and she owned the slaves because she inherited. Now, neither one of them went to Africa and uh, seized men and made them slaves, which is not, that's biblically forbidden. Somebody did, but now you couldn't bring slaves from Africa. This is one of the first laws they made. You couldn't bring slaves from Africa because that's where the sin began. Well, who who began that sin? Because it wasn't white guys wandering around in Africa capturing these people and enslaving them. It was it was black people enslaving them and then taking them to the coast and selling them to Muslims and Muslims selling them to white guys who had the ships to transport them over here. And that was the slave trade. And that was, that was, people thought that was bad. People thought slavery was bad. That's why only 4% of Americans ever owned slaves. Now people play around with those statistics and they say, well, we're going to count families, not just individuals, because the, a slave had to have an individual owner. They really weren't owned by the family. It was a part of the estate. Well, when you do that, then the number changes. But the reality is most people did not own slaves nor benefit from them. Like I said, more white people suffered economically because of the presence of slaves than benefited from it. It was a select few that benefited tremendously and financially from owning slaves. But most people, their wages were lowered because you could get a slave to do the same work for less. So this was a real problem in the South, not so much in the North. People had to work. Back to that cultural imperative where there was this ethic work culture in the North that was injured by slavery in the South. There were still hard workers in the South, but the presence of slaves caused some people to become uh, indolent and and uh, selfish. And historians write about this who were traveling through the South at the time, which we, you know, Alexis Tocqueville writes about that, how it was damaging the whites. The blacks were getting stronger in character and stronger in family even though sometimes families were undermined. I mean, this whole story of uh, Huck Finn helping Jim do what? Just escape and be free? No, to get back to his family. This is why right after the war, 20 years after the war, blacks had like 1-3% to single-parent children. 1-3%. to 20 years after. Why? Because family was important. That was a part of their culture because that's how they survived is depending upon family. When somebody changes something in your environment where you no longer need the family, your culture has changed and will change further as you begin to move from 1-3% to single parent families to 25% single-parent families by the 1960s, 
to 75% now. There was a cultural change in the black community. This wasn't racism. This was simply, they allowed that change to take place. There were many blacks who still, family was extremely important to them. And their families stayed together. And they, when they grew up, they applied themselves because they were hard workers like those Asians who learned to survive in this new land by working hard. This is why Booker T. Washington talks about the fact that you had to make your skills great so that you became an essential part of the community. LBJ, FDR were reversing that process, first in the black community, but also in the white community, which is causing the people to degenerate because now they are depending for their livelihood on the property of others. So what is all this? How do we tie all this together? Slavery. Slavery is not illegal in the United States. Slavery is still vol- uh, 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 very much a lawful part of the U.S. culture. Just uh, involuntary servitude is illegal. Voluntary servitude is legal. You can buy, you can borrow money, and you have to pay it back. That's voluntary servitude. A portion of your check will automatically be delivered to the bank to pay back a loan because you borrowed money from the bank. As you became U.S. citizens under the uh, 14th Amendment, the government could now borrow money under your name. And you would actually be somewhat responsible for the debts of the United States. Now you could leave so you weren't bound that much in the system. But by 1933 you joined that system not only as citizens of the United States and residents of your local states but now a portion of your labor was a part of that system. And I'm I've been adding to our page on the bondage of Egypt and uh, also dealing with the page on oppression. And they're not quite ready yet. And we're going to go back to critical thinking here in the second half of the show so that you begin to understand this. But we're going to give you some more examples. In Egypt, they were in bondage in Egypt. Israel was in bondage in Egypt. They were, we, we see the movies, they're called slaves. In Egypt. We were slaves in Egypt. But they only had to give 20% of their labor to the Pharaoh. One-fifth. Four-fifths was still theirs. But one-fifth belonged to the Pharaoh. And that was considered the bondage of Egypt. That You were slaves in Egypt. Today in America, you have to give one-fifth. Are you in the bondage of Egypt? And what does what does the Bible tell us about being in such bondage? What what do they say about returning to such bondage? Well, the minor prophets talk about it. They 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 say that we're not to go back that way. Others also talk about it uh, of returning to the bondage of Egypt. 
Where, where does it, it talk about that? There's there's probably a dozen places. I, I don't know if I can think of. Uh, Habakkuk, I know, is one. Anyway, uh, then we also told in Deuteronomy and others that we were to not go back that way anymore. Around Deuteronomy 17, 16, where it gives you the five things to put in your constitution. If you're going to have a ruler who can, you know, a chief executive officer who can exercise authority one over the other, the Bible tells us that we were to write down five things, five rules for this king, prime minister, president, whatever, who's going to have this exercising authority and write them down and read them to him every day. That's what the Bible tells you to do. Of those five things, only one of them is in the Constitution of the United States. People just missed it. People like uh, Jefferson missed it. Washington missed it. They read the Bible. I mean, you missed it probably. And why? Because you lack this critical thinking. On our critical thinking page, there's... there's uh, uh, Things that are required for critical thinking. Characteristics of critical thinking. Compassion, awareness, good judgment, total honesty, willingness, creativity, uh, an analytical mind, ability to communicate. One of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet that appears in many words, it means to communicate. And when you see that letter in the word, you know that this word is about that communicating. But in order to communicate honestly, you have to be compassionate, aware, have good judgment, total honesty. That total honesty begins with honesty about yourself. And that's what a lot of people seem to fail to grasp. And like we've just had this coronavirus thing going around and... uh Everybody was, they're still in a panic. People who panicked are still in a panic, even though we know the numbers have all decreased. But now I've seen some epidemiologists coming out and saying what we were saying from the very beginning. Now why, why were we able to see that the numbers were false from the beginning? When they first came out, I could see that those numbers were not true. And I went and looked up and found verification amongst famous epidemiologists that the numbers simply aren't true. Now we got guys like Beta Stadler, who is, uh, you know, the director of the Institute of Immunology uh, at the University of Bern in Switzerland. And he's a biologist and a professor emeritus. And he's coming out and saying things like, first, it was wrong to claim the virus was novel. Novel means new. And secondly, it was even more wrong to claim that the population would not already have some immunity against the virus. It is Novel 2, right? So therefore, there was a Novel 1. I mean, it was a COVID 2, there was a COVID 1. And of course, we already had a great deal of immunity and a lot of people when exposed to this new virus didn't see it as a new virus. They already had a natural immunity in their body to it. It might have to be slightly readjusted, but the body already knows. This is what we see going on with uh, the virus right now. 
they they were coming out and saying that the virus seems to have had 40 different mutations already, which makes a vaccine almost useless. Not completely, but almost completely useless because so one of the unique characteristics of this virus is it supposedly has like 23 keys. It's walking around with all these keys. And uh, because of that, it's uh, more subject to mutation because the keys can get damaged and then it replicates itself. It's not really alive, so when it's replicated, it depends on what went in to begin with as to how it gets replicated. So anyway, he, he's talking about the fact that this was a big mistake. And he mentions a study by uh, John Le- uh, Leonidas, who is a professor at Stanford University. And according to the Einstein Foundation in Berlin, one of the world's ten most cited scientists is Leonidas. And uh, he shows that the immunity to the SARS-CoV-2 measured in the forms of antibodies, is much higher than previously thought. Now, I actually was reading the Anitas way back at the beginning of all this because somebody told us something in the news that I didn't think was right, didn't sit right with me, and I went and listened for an alternative opinion. It was out there, but he wasn't going to be quoted in the news. So anyway, he's coming out now and saying all kinds of things. Like the death rate is like, amongst young kids, it's zero. Literally zero. Virtually zero. Because almost none get it. Almost none get sick. And when I say get it, well, maybe they do get it, but they don't show symptoms, so you never know they got it. It's like those old people on board that ship. Many of them probably got it and nobody knew they got it because they got over it so quick. So, with us, we're out there listening to the news and we're, you know, the people are getting panicky. They And once panicked, it's hard to calm them down. It's hard, you know, they're the all debating, I wear masks, I want to save lives. You wearing masks are probably killing people. You being afraid is probably extending fear to others and it will eventually kill people. He he recently came out with some information that in a published article, peer-reviewed article, where he's talking about 1.1 billion people are now facing starvation because of the shutdown. Not the virus, the shutdown. And... You tell that to somebody and they say, yeah, but I wear a mask to save lives. So how are you saying, we were told originally, wear a mask, social distance. Actually, we were told not to wear a mask uh, and social distance to slow the spread. Not stop it, slow the spread. And people talk about, well, now they move the goalpost. Now it's to, you know, do something else. More than that. You can't stop it. It's going to run its course. What stops it is herd immunity. You're immune, I'm immune, everybody else is coming into contact with one another immune. So none of us get it, none of us carry it, and eventually it dies out. But people have changed the rules. 
and they say now it's for something else. It's very clear if you say what's actually going on. This is a political agenda. Everybody who wants to keep people locked down, wearing masks, keep them afraid, fear, 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 all Democrats. And they want to extend this into the next school year so that everybody's doing it in November when there's a vote. And you can't have big mass rallies. And so therefore, the strong candidate who can show up with big mass rally, rallies, they're not supposed to even have these rallies. They, they fight against it. But what really concerns me is, because I know Donald Trump is not the salvation of America. What concerns me is the hate, the unbridled hate for Trump is now being moved over in another direction. Now it's whites and racists. But that's not actually what's going on. There is no systemic racism. There's racism around. There always will be. The problem in the black community, the 50% of the uh, murders in the United States are committed in the black community even though they're only 12% of the population. Why is that? If we're going to have critical thinking, we need to be able to look at that. Well, what that is, is broken families. They change the culture of the black community where broken families are good families. And that's not actually the case. Broken families are not a guarantee that they're going to have problems, but statistically, they do have more problems. More jail, more crime, more death, more anger, more resentment. So where's all this anger? If you if you listen to the left, they're always so angry, shouting people down. Well, they don't have the compassion. They have a feigned compassion, but they don't really have the compassion necessarily for critical thinking culture. They're moving away from this idea of the critical thinking culture of Christ. And they're moving into other ways of thinking, which is the the culture of hate. It's amazing that, you know, all these liberals and lefts, they're the ones who are accusing the the right of all this hate. And that we're supposed to fear white supremacists. But they're the ones who are actually spreading the hate. And they're not aware of it. So that's another thing they're lacking. Not only do they not have real compassion... Black Lives Matter, except if they die, and means that it's not a part of my agenda. So, all these things are going on, and we've talked about a lot of these things in this oppression, but, uh, and, and I, so I do go back to, you know, this home base of this coronavirus, but like I say, it started before that, this hate of Trump. And, and he, this, this immune, immunologist from the University of, of uh, Bern in Switzerland. He goes on to say all kinds, as an immunologist, I trust biological models, namely of the human organism which has a built, has built a tried and tested adaptive immune system. That's what's going to give us immunity, is that immune system. And people need to focus on that reality. 
I almost hear nothing in the news about, I've heard the reverse of what you can do to not only prevent getting sick seriously, but what to do about getting well seriously. But that doesn't appear in the news. It should. I hear it. But you have to, it's not in that major mass media. He says, but this common sense seems to have eluded many. Let's call them immunity deniers. <laughs> you, know, you know, like climate deniers. I thought that was an interesting term because everybody says you're a climate denier. You're an immunity denier if you're wearing a mask. Now, I mean, there are going to be some people that probably should wear a mask. They may be sick and they are coughing and they got to go take care of grandma. Well, then they they need to wear a mask and a lot more. But they don't believe in the natural immunity. Everybody pushing the vaccine. They're immunity deniers. I'm not anti-vax. I'm just not an immunity denier like the people who want to have a vaccination to solve a problem that has been solved for tens of thousands of years by our natural immune system. So this is a, this is an epidemiologist and immunologist who's, who's telling us this. The, the new breed of deniers had to observe the majority of people who tested positive for this virus. The virus was present in their throats, did not, yet they did not get sick. So what is going on? Uh, what, what's happening? Why are we all so afraid? Because we lack critical thinking. Why do we lack critical thinking? We lack compassion. Why do we lack compassion? Because we don't practice compassion. This is why Christ said, why John the Baptist said, you take care of one another through charity because that's the practice of compassion. He commanded his ministers to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so they could practice that compassion on a face-to-face basis. He goes on to say, the next joke of some virologists shared uh, was the claim that those who were sick without symptoms could still spread the virus to other people. That's actually possible if the symptoms are really slight and you did not detect that they were even sick. They could spread the virus, but the likelihood of spreading the virus becomes almost nil and none. That's what he's telling us, but we're not listening because we're already possessed by fear. This uh, He talks about uh, the, this natural immune system. He says here... Uh, a succinct and brief summary, especially for the immunity deniers, for how humans are attacked by germs and how we react to them. If there are pathogens, very, in our environment, then all humans, whether immune or not, are attacked by the virus. 
if someone is immune, the battle with the, the virus begins. First, we try to prevent the virus from binding to ourselves with the help of, you know, like he says, with antibiotics. Things that probably lost something in translations. But normally works only partially. This idea of you produce the natural antibodies. You produce the natural barriers to getting sick in your body. The more aware you are, your body is aware of these incoming toxins, the more equipped it is going to be to ward them off. Awareness is that second element of critical thinking. In order for your cells to be aware, you have to be aware. In order for you to be aware, you have to be willing to see your problems. You have natural antibodies that are warding off these things. But he says this normally works only partially. Not all are blocked and some viri will attack to appropriate cells for their to replicate them. That doesn't mean that they're going to replicate them a lot, but they will get into some cells. Those cells will start to replicate them, but then you have T cells. And these cells that will produce other forms of defense in your body to devitalize those that are replicating and to vitalize the the exosomes that will go after the viruses and break them down. So this is at least two major parts of your immune system that are already working and you're completely unaware of it. But the more aware you are of yourself and where you sit in society, where you operate in society, how you operate in society, the better your body will work to ward off these physical attacks. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So this whole idea of critical thinking and is absent in our culture today because Christ is actually absent in our culture, in our churches, and in our thinking. We use the word Christ, we use the word Jesus, but we're not actually thinking like Jesus. We're not doing what Jesus said. If you, this is the thing with faith. Real faith compels your actions. You cannot do contrary to what Christ says because you have faith. If it's a struggle to do what's right, then there is a lack of faith. You may have ideas that you think are true, but that's not faith. And so, you know, the proof is in the pudding. So what is going on in society? We're seeing these ridiculous, crazy riots. We see... People like de Blasio claiming that racism is the problem, yet it's not racism. And, and it's become a catch-all. It's, and you'll notice that the people who are argue this leftist side are always so angry and impatient. It's because of the spirit that is actually finding a home in them to dwell and to influence their thinking and their actions is an angry spirit. You know, last night, well, yesterday, I, I killed a fairly large rattlesnake, about eight buttons, and it, it, I'd seen it several times. 
And, uh, I mean, this guy would actually climb up in a bush and struck at me from three feet off the ground. <laughs> so, uh, he was menacing. And, uh, uh, this was actually near the well out there where we may have guests uh, coming up to the Burning Bush Festival, which is going to be this year. We've been having it on Labor Day because I thought that was convenient. Uh, we don't always have it, uh, the Jewish Feast of the Tabernacles because up here in the high mountains that sometimes puts it in late October and the weather's pretty sketchy by then. But uh, we may change it next year, but uh, uh, we're uh, we're going to have it uh, on that weekend, that first weekend in uh, September, 6th, 7th, uh, 5th, 6th, and 7th. You can come over that whole weekend. And uh, some will come, maybe come early, and some may stay late. But uh, that's the Burning Bush Festival. You can go to burningbushfestival.com.org. Just look for Burning Bush Festival. Uh, go to our website, hisholychurch.org, uh, preparingyou.com. Uh, join the network. I really recommend everybody join the network. I, I may start sending more things to the network. I share certain things on Facebook where I see Kingdom Thinking and other people and different news announcers and different people on the Internet and uh, in social media. And I may share those also on our network. And the network is based on that tens, hundreds, and thousands in order to establish that it, it's based on geographical location. So you're in Texas, you join the Texas group. If you're in California, you join the California group. If you're in Nevada, you may have to join the California group or the Oregon group because we don't have groups in every single state until we get enough people in those states and then we will put them in there. But you have to persevere at this. The whole idea of the network is not to create a massive email network but to actually bring people into contact with one another. When we first started this, we had huge number of people in Michigan sign up. And we thought, well, wow, what's going on in Michigan? But over the years, a lot of them have kind of fallen away. They don't seem to, you know, they don't find what they're looking for. But what the what we need to be looking for is the opportunity to apply Christ's thinking to the lives of others. Because Christ didn't come not to have an effect on the lives of others. In order to do that, he had to come. He had to show up. And he commanded that we make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Of course, that's how the church was organized for almost a thousand years. And then a new idea came along that we're not going to gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. You're going to have a centralized religion, and it's going to tell you what to think. And and they were still, to some degree, taking care of the needy of society, but you could see right away you know, with people like Lady Godiva, they were trying to get the state to take the place of the church. With FDR and LBJ, they did that. And that has changed our culture. So what is this thing? I keep mentioning culture. What is this thing, culture? Well, culture can be defined as the arts and other manifestation of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively. Now, when I say the arts, you're probably thinking symphonies and operas and all that stuff. But it, it's the skills and the manifestation of those skills of human thought. And the achievements regarded collectively belonging to a particular group. It's their culture. 
Well, that's a pretty short definition. There's a longer one. Culture refers to the cumulative deposit of knowledge, experience, beliefs, values, attitudes, meanings, hierarchies, religion, uh, notions of the time, roles, spatial relationships, concepts of the universe, the material objects acquired by a group of people in the course of generations through individual and other strivings, strivings. So, what what are some, you know, I mentioned hierarchies. Well, lesser degree or greater degree, hierarchies. Values, what are your values? Uh, notions of the time, you know, people think is the end times, you know, the mark of the beast and all that stuff. All these things will have an effect you know, uh, spatial relations. How, how tight a group are you? Are you sitting down in the tens, hundreds, thousands, or do you think you just have faith all by yourself? And a couple of your mutual friends. Or your, or your little local congregation. But the reality is the kingdom of God was spread all out throughout Europe and way beyond in Africa and everywhere else right away. That's why we see Paul moving to all these places all over the country. Not to just some, he didn't just get in some little local congregation and say, well, I believe in Jesus. No, it was absolutely essential that he go around and connect to these others because there were famines and there were floods and there was pestilence and there were wars and rumors of wars. And uh, Christians to survive, they had to have this wider view, not congregational view, but kingdom view of what Christ was teaching. Culture is this, uh, is a big thing and we, we've seen earlier here that the culture of slavery caused blacks to become very focused on family. Family was everything. And so when they came out of slavery, family was what helped them survive. Friendship is what helped them survive. Being, you know, uh, industrious, hardworking, making themselves useful to the whole community is changed them. What we see, the breakdown in the black community today is not the result of slavery, well, at least not involuntary servitude, It's the result of the welfare state. Nobody wants to hear that on the left. They want more welfare state, want guaranteed income. That's where your problems came from. Because your your group doesn't have to strive. You think it's striving to get somebody to vote it into power that they're going to give you more money for free. Of course, first they have to take it away from somebody else. But you're accustomed to that already because FDR got you accustomed to it. LBJ got you accustomed to it. This is what's destroying your community because it's destroying your culture. It's changing the way in which you look at the times and your role in it. So he goes on to say, so the word cultural includes a long list of different characteristics of relating to the ideas, customs, and social behaviors of society. In the black community, I've heard several people say that if you're studious, hardworking, getting good grades, they call you an Uncle Tom. 
They belittle you because they're saying you're trying to be white because you're trying to get good grades. Because you're trying to get a job. Because you're trying not to get anybody pregnant while you still haven't got a job. You're you're trying to make family important. So they say you're a sellout. No, they're the sellouts. They already sold out for a pot of benefits. A porridge. Give me free benefits. The greatest destroyers of liberties are those who spread amongst them gifts, gratuities, and benefits. Done deal. That's history. So they change your culture. The black community culture, the white community culture. They're changing the Asian culture. We see that their families are breaking down more and more because they, well, they have to study hard, but they don't have to strive to survive. So this is eventually going to lead into this idea of oppression, but this critical thinking requires that you see that. The plight of the black community is the white liberal who wants to spread amongst them gifts, gratuities, and benefits, and guaranteed incomes. He should be striving not only to make himself of value to himself, but to his neighbor, and then his neighbor will go out of his way to help him. Because he went out of his way to help others. You say, well, that's not a guarantee. Well, yeah, that's where hope comes in. You're living by faith and hope and charity. That's absolutely essential. Are you ready to turn around? Are you ready to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you joining the network? Go to, go to preparing you, his get Sign up on a local network wherever you live. It'll show you how to do it. And we'll start sharing you the bits and pieces of the puzzle that other people are figuring out out there in the world. And we'll start showing you what they're beginning to see and then you start putting those thousand points of light together and maybe you will start to think critically too. But you have to be critical of yourself. And then you will think more critically about everything else. And then you will see what so many people have failed to see in dealing with the coronavirus, the shutdown. Somebody was asking, you know, First, it was the uh, Russian hoax, and then it was impeachment, and then it went to the coronavirus, and now it went to the shutdown, and now it's gone to riots, and they're saying, so what's next? Well, somebody was telling me, lamb's $22 a pound. (laughs) Ground lamb, $22 a pound in the store. Out here... We don't hardly get a dollar a pound on the hoof. And why is that? I mean, I was just notified that the lamb pool's not taking any lambs, the wool pool's not taking any wool. And uh, the people are screaming in the streets because of non-existent racism, virtually non-existent racism. That's not the problem. Racism isn't the problem. It's the fact that you think the world owes you a living. That's the problem. Well, you can see how popular that's going to go over with some people. We need to turn around and think way differently than we have been thinking in the past. 
In order to do that, we have to be willing to see ourselves as we really are. Patrick Henry once said, It is when the people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. And of course, that's what's, that's what's been going on in society is that they've been forging our chains, but we put them on ourselves and we cling to those chains. We're back in the bondage of Egypt. We explained that earlier in the show. 20% of your labor, 30% of your labor, 40% of your labor is already claimed by somebody else. You're not dealing with your inalienable rights. You're dealing with your contracts, covenants, and constitutions that have brought you into bondage. And just even bringing up the idea that it might be your fault, so many people begin to run the other way. They don't want to be taking the blame. But that's exactly what we should be doing, is taking the blame. Because we've gone about this in in a way contrary to what the teachings of Christ are. So, where do we go from here? Well, again, sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start contributing and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You don't, you don't and can't do that entirely, all of a sudden. So, therefore, you have to start striving. You know, it's like, I'm going to plow the field. Well, you're going to plow the whole field in what? Five minutes? Ten minutes? An hour? Two days? Ten days? No, you're going to work in that direction. But you have to aim that plow to go down in that straight and narrow path of Christ. To go the way that Christ said for us to go. What the prophet said for us to go. And we have to change our culture. By changing our habits. See, culture a lot of times changes because somebody changes something in the outside world and that causes everybody to go a certain way. You know, advertisers know that they want name recognition. People have come on items in stores to get you to come into the store because once you come in once, then somebody's going to come in in twice. And they were coming again and again. I heard somebody talking, a politician was talking about this, that, well, actually, you don't want to do something for other people. You want them to do something for you because they have now invested in your campaign. And they will be more likely to continue because they invested in their campaign. You know, gave, give five bucks, ten bucks. Once you do that, then suddenly now you're going to talk that person up. Because you've invested in that person. That's why you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. It's because you have to invest in one another. Love is not love if you're still sitting in the pew. Love is an action word where you put action into place. This is why it was absolutely essential to Christ's plan that you sit down in those tens, hundreds, and thousands. And learn to take care of one another. Through faith, hope, and charity. That's why John the Baptist started with that. But you don't do that anymore. You take care of one another through men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. That is the antithesis of what you should be doing. So it's time for you to repent and go the other way. 
So, how are we going to go that other way? We we missed it with the coronavirus. Although now that's still going on. People are still afraid. People are putting there's a number of states now mandatory masks. Somebody was telling me that if you don't wear a mask in the store, they charge you an extra ten bucks. If you don't wear a mask in the store, they they it, it's extortion. That there, the, you can see the idea that you can't buy or sell, you can't go into the store unless you have what this. They're getting people used to thinking that you have that right. Now we're going to have to have a race. There are going to be two races ultimately. Those that are masked and those that are unmasked. (laughs) And everybody can beat up on the unmasked people because they don't care about your life. Right? The reality is is that that's a statement not wearing a mask. So we're trying to get people to realize this virus is not that big a threat to begin with. They say, well, what about I'll tell that to all the people whose loved ones died. Loved ones died when you weren't counting them in the news. Every year, 80,000 people died of flu. Actually died of the flu. These big numbers you've seen, they told you that they're collecting these numbers based on the fact that you may have had coronavirus at the time of your death. Even though the death was not caused by the coronavirus, we're going to still put it down as a COVID death. In London, they had to, they had 10,000 names uh, or not even names, a, a list of 10,000 people they said had the virus and they realized that they were counting the tests twice, the individual patient, two tests. They were counting both those as new um, cases. But it was one guy. It's not two cases. It's one guy who got two tests. 10,000. They were inaccurate. We know hundreds and hundreds have been rolled back in Pennsylvania because they got caught. But they've come right out and said that if you have COVID when you die, even though you didn't necessarily die of COVID, we put it down as a COVID death. That's how those numbers got as big as they are. It's sensationalism in the news. That's not what's going on. But you tell people that who have already accepted the idea that this is a huge pandemic and it's killing people everywhere and you can't get them to think any differently. You can't get that they aren't humble. They're proud. They're, they're ingrained. They're brainwashed. They can't see any other way than the way they have begun to see first. Well, that's not critical thinking. That's the antithesis of critical thinking. So we have to go the other way. I have to think another way and be another way. So, what are you doing that you've accepted that just ain't so? The the virus is is not more dangerous than the common flu. In many cases, because of many age brackets, it's not at all. But what lies have you accepted in your churches, in your reading of the Bible, that just ain't so because you don't have the whole picture? And are you willing to look at it? This is one of the things you see in the left. If you start saying anything that's contrary to what they believe, they will shout you down. 
Okay, well, before you do that, there will people that will walk out and leave the room. Because they don't want to hear or have anybody else listen to an opposing view. Because their beliefs require that you believe what they believe. It should not be that way. The truth is the truth whether you believe it or not. And we should be working in a direction when we begin to see the real truth by willing to see the real truth about ourselves and what we have been thinking. That just ain't so. Because there's a lot of things that we've been thinking that just ain't so. That isn't, it isn't the case. It isn't what is really going on in the world today. And, but we think it is. So, uh, Liz Wheeler, that's another one of those news people I'll probably send out what she said. She, she mentioned homeschooling. That was a really good idea, but she mentioned a lot of other things. She's a big fact oriented, uh, one America, one news network, I think they call themselves. But she's, she's often really cuts to the truth because she's interested in seeing the truth. Very kingdom oriented in that way, at least. And so, uh, I, I would probably share that this is another one of those people that are sharing kind of kingdom ideas. I'm apolitical in the sense that I don't really care who you vote for because I know Christ is the only answer and he's not on the ballot. But he needs to be on your personal ballot. And you should be willing to hear strange things from other people. In case what you believe is true, but just ain't so, is contradicted, that's, that needs to be okay. And you need to be trying to find out that truth and willing to listen to anybody who says they have some of that truth. You don't have to accept it, but you should be willing to listen to it. And one of the things that you listen to is sit down in the tens, under the thousands, try to put up with one another. But you have to persevere to the end. A lot of people, like I say, join different groups, but then they took their hand from the plow. And then finally Jesus says, you are the ones who remain with me, talking to the apostles in the 120. Because they stuck it out. Others did not stick it out. Now you can repent and come back. But you're not coming back to me. You're coming back to what Christ was saying for us to do. Which is to seek that kingdom of God and his righteousness. It isn't righteous to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. You need to repent of that. And go the other way. Which that other way requires that you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That's what you need to do. That's what I need to do. That's what we all need to do. And that will change and alter things in our own personal culture. We will begin to go the other way. That way of righteousness. So, in talking about, uh, like I said, we're going to go through the different prophets. 
And, uh, but in talking about oppression, so a lot of people think they're oppressed. The people in New York, they're having such a tr- trouble, they're not oppressed by racists. They're oppressed by their own greed and avarice. They're oppressed by their own hearts. Now, the good news about that, if you're willing to admit it, is you can do something about your heart. You can't do something about other people's hearts. So accepting the blame is critical to finding the solution. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So a lot of things going on in the news equate to the things that should be going on in the good news of your life. But we're not following the good news, so it's bad news for a lot of people who are rejecting Christ while saying they have accepted Christ. Many shall come in my name, but I know them not. And he says, get ye from me, ye workers of iniquity. Well, one of those iniquities is the fact that people are willing to live at the expense of their neighbor, to take away the property of their neighbors, to institute the rule of force and violence, to get what belongs to their neighbor in the form of benefits from men who call themselves benefactors, but really only exercise authority one over the other, contrary to Christ. But people want to think that what they already believe is true, and so they're not even willing to look and listen to those new ideas or different ideas than they have. I'm not going to get a bunch of stuff, am I? Weird stuff, am I? If I get on your Facebook, hopefully you'll just get the truth, which you don't have very much of right now. Because the lie is pervasive. So, you know, just like uh, the PCR tests that they were giving during this coronavirus, still are giving them. It's not virus specific. It's only measuring shattered parts of exosomes. The more exosomes. Actually, you could be healthier than ever be producing antibodies. You know, one of the things about the virus is that people were talking about if you're asymptomatic, you can still spread the virus. Very unlikely. Because your body is producing billions of exosomes all the time. Some of those exosomes might be replicas of viruses. And if there are a lot, that virus could actually go out and spread to somebody else. Not very easily. You know, according to the doctors I've just been quoting, some of these uh, exposures have to be like 30 minutes in close proximity with somebody in order to spread a virus from your body to them. And and the thing is, a lot of the people that you come in contact with, you don't spend that enough time. That doesn't mean you couldn't get it. You could. But it doesn't spread as easy as they thought, although it does spread. And uh, the fact is it can also remain alive in your body for a long period of time before you start to replicate it. But it's that what happens is that you get sick and some debris is created by the sickness, but it may be you're very mild, but it produces a lot of debris very quickly because you're immune system is robust and then they test you and they say, I see this debris, you must have coronavirus. Most of the cases that we've heard about recently and where people have uh, sometimes gone into hospitals, they're all going into hospital for something other than the virus. They just increase testing. They know that they're, that they may have 
the virus in them, depending on which test. If it's the PCR test, you don't know. If somebody said that they sent in a swab they didn't even put in a person, and it said that and that they had the coronavirus. So there's a lot of things in the testing that have been fraudulent from the beginning. Uh, one of the things that the, that uh, Dr. Beta Styler was saying is that he kind of says that it's a joke. He says the next joke that some virologists shared was the claim that those who were sick without symptoms could still spread the virus to other people. The less symptoms you have, the less viruses you're probably producing. By the time you're producing a lot of symptoms, you may have already expelled all the viruses, and now you're just recovering from the damage done, the side on storms that may take place if you damage enough to, if the virus actually damages, damages enough of the tissue this idea of being sick because other people around you got sick that's okay we get sick we get well we get better you become immune I become immune and that's what stops the virus by keeping large sections of the population from being exposed and becoming immune you're almost guaranteeing a second wave. This is just basic logic, but most people don't get that because it, they don't think logically. They don't think analytically, which is one of the things on that list of critical thinking. Which is why Christ was often talking about things that were very logical. A group of doctors, a big long list of group of doctors came out and saying that, that uh, it's clear, however, that the universal masking alone is not a panacea. It's not even a guarantee. Most people are wearing the wrong kinds of masks and people just don't see it. But what I wanted to talk about in this last part of the show is what you can do to keep from getting that coronavirus, but also the virus of the lie that is going about in the false gospel. Because we know that hydrochloroquine and zinc have been useful in giving immediate relief. Hundreds and hundreds, even thousands now patients who were given hydrochloroquine and zinc, and they also gave an antibiotic, showed, many of them showed improvement within 30 minutes. Others within 24 hours. So, how is that working? You know, and what are some of the other things, and I've mentioned them in the past, what you do, one of the statistics that came to me, and I went and looked it up to see if it's true. I mean, there's like 23 million people in Taiwan. And Taiwan is so small. It's a little tiny island. And it's so small that if they started social distancing, one guy says they would be out in the ocean. How many deaths do you think have come about because of 23 million people? How many people have died in Taiwan? The last I heard was seven. Seven people died in Taiwan. How many people in Japan? I mean, he's got 14 million people in Tokyo alone. They're all crammed in there. How, how are they surviving? 850. Out of millions upon millions of Japanese, how are they doing it? Well, you see a lot of masks, but that isn't how they're doing it. Because we're talking about deaths. They're actually stopping the deaths, not with ventilators. They they merely give um, 
Well, I, I, I shudder almost tell you what they give because then people will go out and they'll start taking it themselves. But uh, Buddhists denied uh, it's an allergy medicine they take. And it gives them, you know, when they're having difficulty breathing. But it's also water. They stay hydrated. And they don't overdo it like I often do. <laughs> they... Uh, but anyway, they, uh, 850 deaths out of Japan because they were treating with these. There's a doctor that actually, they didn't necessarily use that. It's a, actually an inhaler. They inhale a fluid. It's an actual inhibitor of the allergic reaction that can create that cytokine storm. And, uh, that by using this, it's a Dr. Richard Bartlett who's in Texas if you want to look it up. That he he talks about using this inhaler, which is this steroid, slow down the curve in your lungs, in your personal lungs, from this infection, and they they found it works rather well. So that with the hydrochloroquine and zinc, those are two pretty good tools to deal with the virus, so that you end up with seven dead instead of seven thousand dead. And so you need to understand how that all functions and works together. There are other things you can do, certain things you can do with your diet. But now how do we equate this to the kingdom of God? Because the kingdom of God, now I should also tell you, because I've, I've mentioned that the, this, this inhaler, steroid inhaler, which is just an asthma medicine. Asthmatics use it and it slows down the process in the lungs. That often causes difficulty in breathing. But uh, other things that you have to be aware of when you take that particular medicine is that, uh, like if you had tuberculosis, it's going to slow down your defense mechanism in your lungs. Glaucoma, cataracts, you shouldn't probably be taking that with glaucoma. Cataracts. And uh, same way with... uh, uh, if you have a liver disease or uh, food or drug allergies or glaucoma, uh, which I guess I mentioned, uh, you don't want to be taking that. So those can have side effects. But what could you do before that is even more important. Before there was a need. And that is to keep the, your health levels of things like zinc up in advance. You want to keep the, yourself well so that it never even gets a foothold. And people need to understand, you know, like, are you taking enough zinc? Are you taking enough? And I don't want you to go out and take all these things in supplements, but how are you eating? The reality is, is that the skills of taking care of one another is part of that cultural practices that will alter you as individuals. And uh, we need to be a part of that altering culture of righteousness if we're going to be immune to those diseases. Now, back to the lie. You want to be immune to the lie because it will take you down that road to destruction. So how do you get immune to that lie? And of course, that's those things in critical thinking that I was mentioning before that, that Christ has been trying to teach us from the beginning. 
And so this critical thinking, this disciplined thinking that is clear, rational, open-minded, and informed by evidence. What's the one thing that the the left is always saying? Facts don't matter. It's emotion. They don't want evidence. They want emotion. So, do facts matter to you? Critical thinking is supposed to be this analysis of the facts to form a judgment. Critical thinking is self-directed. Critical thinking as this self-directed, self-disciplined, self-monitored, and self-corrective thinking process is all about looking at yourself. Which is why we teach the meditation as well. Meditation is really about seeing the thoughts as they come up in your mind before you act upon them. And asking yourself, is this me? Is this the Holy Spirit? Is this programming that got into me because of trauma? It's about critical thinking is first and foremost critical thinking about yourself. It requires this humility. So anyway, I... I Looked for all kinds of different characteristics, and like I say, compassion is one of them. And of course, love thy neighbor as thyself, as thyself sounds like compassion. But are you practicing that? I mean, it's really easy to sit in the pew and say, I love my neighbor, but you don't actually want to do anything for your neighbor. So critical thinking, or being a critical thinker, would uh, need a fundamental compassion about others desiring to know the motivations and circumstances or events in another situation or individuals uh, attempt to understand the thinking and motives of all the participants both those that hate you that are your enemy that are supposedly your oppressor that's one of the things I see all the time is the people who are claiming racism they just they just want to shut you off, shut you down. Watch for this. You'll see this. And then ask yourself, do I do that? Like the lady who was afraid that I might send her some information she does not want to know. <laughs> what are we talking about? What don't you want to know? Don't you want to know Everything you might need to know, well, how do you know you need to know it unless you know it? And then you can say, well, I really didn't need to know that. You can set it aside. It's absolutely essential that you have this, not only compassion, but awareness. And to have that awareness, you have to become this observer. Where And to be that observer, you have to be willing to hear out others. Now, they list as one of the things that's good judgment. Good judgment is the, of the result of hundreds of individual choices is really what it comes down to in many areas. I mean, you make choices way back when you were a little kid. Your parents make choices. Your friends make choices. All these things are affecting your environment, but nothing affects your environment more than the choices you make for yourself. You know, like if you get angry at somebody, well... If you strike out at that person, if you try to get revenge, those are choices that you're making. Even getting angry is a choice. Pushing Somebody pushing your buttons, they call it. It's not automatic. 
you may not be able to stop the anger from welling up in, in you, but you can stop the reaction of the anger, the a reaction to judgment. That's one of the things that was most... If you had a compass that you wanted to know what was going on in society, look out there and see, you know, George Floyd dies. They want, they're looking for blood. They, they want to destroy these cops who supposedly did this terrible thing. They killed him. They murdered him. He actually died of a heart failure brought on by the fact that he fought those cops for several minutes refusing to get in the automobile so that he could be arrested and processed and then released. And, and during that process, he would be sobering up rather than getting in his car and driving around under the influence of heavy, heavy narcotics. But, so they didn't really do that bad. They were... He was probably out of line holding his knee there, but he wasn't crushing anybody's windpipe. He wasn't cutting off his air. He could breathe. What he didn't realize, and he isn't a medical personnel, is that he was having a heart attack. I just had a neighbor whose son, only son was uh, having chest pains and feeling ill. And uh, I, he went into the doctor and they looked at him and they sent him home. He's okay. He was dead that night. He died that night. Uh, I know another guy who went into the doctor's office to be tested for his heart and passed all his tests and were signing him out that uh, he was in good health and no problem. On his way out of the hospital, he dropped dead of a heart attack. He died in doctor's care. Can we call that malpractice? <laughs> the reality is, is this guy died in police custody. He was in police custody because he made choices to take drugs, to pass counterfeit money, to do all sorts of things over his life that led to his bad heart. He didn't even know he had a bad heart as far as I know. I, I don't want to rush to judgment either, but the reality is he died of a heart failure. Now, they're, they're going to have the trial to find out, but we t- talk about that. The reality is is that people can't look at this critically because they're, they're not honest. They hate. They, they are full of hate. They will accuse you of being a hater, a racist, and that what racism is. Often it's it's hating somebody else because of their race. But people hate people because of the hat they're wearing. You know, the the Make America Great. What do they call that kind of hat? <laughs> you know, the um, the their red hats, and they just go ballistic. They go nuts. That's a sign that people are not critical thinking. They're not in touch with reality. How do you get them in touch with reality? Yell at them? Scream at them? No, you have to turn on light. How do you turn on the light? You have to be willing to see your own reality. So I said also that you had to, you know, many of those choices that you make must be made on a wide range of facts and information not readily observable. In other words, you, you don't have all the facts. 
when you make most decisions. You may try to get them, but you may not have them, and you still may have to make a decision. That's that's what happened to the cop. Is he made a decision that you know we just spent you know five minutes wrestling with this guy. I'm just going to keep him here until the ambulance should be here. Just in a few minutes, we'll load him into the ambulance and transport him. That's what he thought was going to happen. He did not realize, he didn't have the information that he had a bad heart and he was about to die of a heart failure. And of course the media isn't going to show you the him wrestling with all four cops who are trying to get him loaded into the car. They're not going to show you that. They're not going to show you the toxicology report. Those things might come out, but what they have to do is get you to invest in the idea that the cops murdered George Floyd. That it was racist murdering of George Floyd. This is what all blacks have to worry about. The statistics don't bear them out. The facts don't bear them out. But again, they're not interested in the facts. They're interested in the emotion. And this makes them feel self-righteous because they hate the cop. And now they hate all cops. They must all be racist. What you're seeing is somebody being sucked down a spiritual toilet into a way of thinking and reacting into a culture of judgment. Not good judgment, bad judgment. Rush to judgment. Not being totally honest. And that's what you have to do is be totally honest to arrive at a place where we are honest. We must have a history of moral integrity and ethical consideration in the actions of our own life. That's what you should be doing to church. If church had the purpose of pure religion, you would be going to church not to sing songs, to hear sermons, but to find out who is the needy amongst you and what can you do for them. If the needy amongst you is needy because they got coronavirus, you will want to know the alternative treatments for coronavirus. Somebody just went to a doctor... That's actually the son of the individual who was afraid I might send him something. Uh, I think it was the son. might have been some uh, a relative. And uh, they put him on certain medicine and they, they, they had to do this. And, they, and so I was asking, I was asking, so why is that? And Oh, he didn't know. Well, did he ask the doctor? No, he wouldn't ask the doctor. The doctor says, just take this medicine and I take it. That's not critical thinking. Not trying to find out what's really going on. That's putting the responsibility on somebody else. And see, of course, that's why there was police custody for George Floyd to die in. It's because people have put the responsibility of protecting society in the hands of the police. Now they want to defund the police and are they going to take on that responsibility? No. That's not... What you would do is you start taking back the responsibility and the need for a professional police force may eventually over time diminish. You don't get rid of the police and then assume by creating that vacuum that everybody will start taking care of one another, protecting one another, being there for one another. But that isn't the way it goes because nature abhors a vacuum and the vacuum will be filled but it will probably be filled by more tyrannical people from even the farther away. Which gets into a prophecy I'm not going to share with you right now. To arrive at the place where we are honest we must become honest ourselves. Totally honest ourselves. 
And we must be willing to do that, to see the whole truth and provide for it. That's what Patrick Henry said. So anyway, we'll continue this next time on Keys to the Kingdom. Join the network. Think about the Burning Bush Festival in September. And until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.